0: Hello and welcome to another ArsCast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right. Slightly, slightly traumatised by... By? David Attenborough. What's happened? Well, I watched his new show on Netflix over the weekend. It's all about the migration of animals. I'll
2: express immediate relief, because whenever anyone's worried about David Attenborough, obviously at his age, I fear the worst. So I'm glad it's not that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's another beautifully shot piece of David Attenborough nature, you know, which is, um, they're always amazing shows. But this one in particular seemed to be very, very, um, I don't know, it was trying to tug on the heartstrings a little bit. You know, like, Mm. here is the most beautiful baby animal you've ever seen. But there sure. are predators waiting at every turn. And you're like, oh, my God, this, this oh, it's a little baby, you know, foal or baby zebra or whatever. And is he going to make it across the river where the, like, the ancient evil reptile crocodiles are going to chomp him in too? But yeah. he gets there in the end. He gets there in the end. And then there's the other stuff like this mother and her polar bear cubs have to swim for miles because there's no ice anymore because of climate change, which is essentially your fault for not recycling that bit of plastic in the green bin last week. So, mm. I don't need that. I mean, I get used it. used to be quite
2: relaxing shows to watch, didn't they?
0: Yeah, this one, this one not so much. And then at the end, I'm not giving any spoilers away here, but there's a brutal scene involving, you know, a baby whale... Which are quite big, you know. They're not tiny things. And a group of orca. Now, orca, as we know, the magpies of the sea.
2: The magpies of the ocean. Part yeah. of the dolphin family. Well, yes. Which we know your feelings on.
0: Yes. And uh, that that was particularly brutal. So I'm not uh, I'm not recovered yet. But you know, hopefully the week will play out in a nice, calm way, and uh, uh, and I can I can get back on an even keel. So
2: it's interesting that sort of, uh, planet guilt, it creeps in everywhere. Um, even the nice weather, you know, it's sort of, there's an edge to it, isn't there? Mm.
1: If,
2: of course the world is on fire. Um, but it's nice I in went, my
0: back garden. So yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Right. And I went to another, um, children's party over the weekend. Uh, this is my new lifestyle. Sure. These are the big events in my social calendar. And there was a woman there who was entertaining the children. And she was clearly, uh, and I say this with love and full knowledge that there but for the grace of God go I, and probably inevitably there go I at some point, but she was clearly an out-of-work actor in a Mm. princess dress doing some songs, right? Right, okay. A couple of hundred quid, though, good day's work. Sure. But... She was singing to these, uh, three year olds. It was a three year old's birthday party.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the environmental messaging is also present in the songs that she is singing. So <laughs> at one point she was singing this sort of quite jolly upbeat tune to all these three year olds who are like clapping along we have
0: to save the planet
2: before <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> it's just a sort of really bleak message.
0: Before you grow up in a world yeah. where you have to live underground, yeah. like mole people, exactly.
2: yeah, you will live in desert land um, <laughs> for the rest of your life. It's just sort of incredible. I guess they've got to find out eventually, right? Yeah, yeah, true.
0: I mean, there is a time and a place. But, you know, our generation fucked it for <laughs> you. <laughs> there will be no water, so you'll have to consume each other for vital liquids. It's a cheerful start to the pod. It sure is. It sure is. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's going to get it's going to get better from here. You know, when we start talking about transfer rumors and, uh, and all true. those kinds of things. You know what else? washing we might get some sports washing in as well. Yeah. I lost my wallet somewhere. Can't find You it. did? Yeah. When did that happen? Sad. Well, I had it coming home on Saturday night, and uh, I haven't seen it since. And it's not in any of the usual places. And I don't have an AirTag thing on it or anything like that, so... But no one's spending your money? No one's... Actually. Well, they didn't yesterday. I should have a look now, actually, and just see. Why... Yesterday there was a Sunday. A lot of the shops were shut. Shops don't shut anymore.
2: No, do I they? Know
0: they no, don't not really um i don't i'm just going to log into my my banking and just see what's happening here just,
2: and just people just bought phil collins tickets
0: <laughs> the ultimate insult could you imagine could you imagine right let's have a look i'm logged in and no nobody's been spending anything so it's got to be somewhere but I feel quite, um, I feel uh, unstable without knowing where it is. You know How long I mean? are you going to give it? Going to have to give it like at least another day to sort of try and you know I probably threw it somewhere, and it's you know down the back of a cushion or something like that. Um, you must stop throwing your wallet. Do you throw your wallet or do you place it Definitely somewhere?
1: Definitely not. A- <laughs>
2: I don't. I'm not so reckless. I can't be. I have to, I place it and I know I put it in the same place all the time. And if you think I'm saying that place on air, Andrew, you're
0: crazy. No, I won't. I won't ask. I won't ask. But that is a good tactic, I think, rather than just to sort of randomly throw it on either a shelf or beside the bed or on the sofa, which is where, you know, I usually... I usually chuck it because uh, it's going to be a learning a learning moment. It's for one of those little small ones, you know, the sort of the cards push up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, oh so yeah, it's not well, that's like hard.
2: a. They do disappear.
0: It's not mine.
2: Falls out my pocket in the car quite often, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so the car is like on a slight incline. I guess the seat and the the wallet. So I I fairly frequently I'm like I've lost my wallet, and then I open the car and it's ah, down it the side of the car seat. Right.
0: Uh, well, I wasn't driving, so it won't be in the car. So anyway, okay. I'll, I'll keep you up to date and I'm sure everybody's really interested in this. It's good. We've got that thread to sort of yeah. run across the summer. Sure. Where is the wallet now? If, uh, someone's mm-hmm. going to start sending me like, ra- there'd be a random Twitter account of my wallet at the Grand Canyon and that kind of stuff. Here it is. <laughs> yeah.
2: we holding it hostage. Yeah.
0: Um... um Where do you want to start then today when it comes to all the exciting Arsenal-related business that is going on? What a question.
2: I don't know. There's so so many directions we could go. I suppose we should start with the thing I learnt about most recently. Okay. Which is that I woke up this morning and watched a video of Flo Balogun scoring his first international goal for the USMNT, as they're known.
0: Yes. I mean, it's quite. Why did, can't they just be called the U.S. team? Well, I suppose the men. But to be
2: fair, I think it's. I think it's probably a consequence of the fact that the,
0: them from- the WNT yeah
2: were quite successful for quite a long period of time and maybe almost more widely known, um, sort of in the country than than some of the male players. So it's probably a good thing. Mm. It probably speaks to equality for some measure.
0: Sure, you know? that makes sense. So USMNT. Balagoon mm. scored, uh, Flo Balagoon scored the second goal against Canada, and a very nicely taken goal it was as well. I saw him, uh, a little video of him afterwards with Matt Turner. Uh, talking oh, about what the, were they doing? They were celebrating in the dressing room, looked to be having a fizzy drink of some kind. Crazy. Uh, yeah. And um, they Balagoon said something like, Arsenal connection, bro. Something like that, anyway. So I did it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we actually – we had a load of questions, actually, about uh, Balagoon and Enkedia and that kind of stuff. And yeah. actually, there are some quotes from him uh, this morning as well. Let me just see if I can find them where Balogun is basically saying, uh, I'm not going to go on loan again. Uh, he said, I'm not sure about the discussions that are going to take place. I'm not sure what's going to happen. What I can say is that I definitely won't go on loan again. Okay. So.
2: Yeah. Well, somebody wrote in and suggested like a debate where one of us argues for Eddie and Kettier and one of us argues for Flo Balogun. Okay. Um,
0: do you want to do that? Okay. Will we flip for whoever gets whoever? Yeah, that seems fair.
1: I that don't fair.
0: I don't have a coin, but I've got a, an SSD card, like one of those little memory cards for a camera type thing. Um, okay. So it's got you, some writing on one side. It's completely blank on the other side. So do you want writing or not writing?
2: I'll have uh, writing, please. Okay,
0: I'm just going to flick it up in the air and I will... You've got writing,
2: Ooh, so who do you pick? Okay,
0: uh, I I pick
2: um, I'll I'll pick Balogun. Thought you might. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to pick. Ah! By the way, I can't figure out. I can't find who suggested we do this, but. I the reason I w- I wasn't going to do it is because I was like I there's one of these I can make a better argument for than the other and it doesn't feel fair. Yeah,
0: it's um. from overall online on the Discord. Okay, you said I propose okay. a short debate. One of you in the flow corner, the other in Eddie's corner. Why should we keep you? And why it makes more sense to sell the other? I'll say let me go first. Given I've got the the shorter straw 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 here. Um. I will say that as uh, an advocate for Eddie and Ketia, the reason why you should keep me is because we could sell you for quite a lot of money and then use that money to invest in the squad. And you know Eddie. Eddie can score some goals sometimes. Mm -hmm. And... that's kind of it. That's that's what I got here.
2: Well, I, I, if I was representing Flo Balogun, I guess I would say, well, I can score goals too. I've scored goals at every level. Mm-hmm. I've done something Eddie's never done, which is led the line for a team across an entire season, mm-hmm. as I did uh, last year in France. Um, uh, I, if I was, what else would I say in favor of Flo Balagan? I'm, I'm the younger player. So maybe the greater potential to improve mm-hmm. over the next two or three years. Um, and I'm a bit taller and that makes people feel more secure.
0: I, uh, Come at me. Come I am, at me. I, I'm, not, I'm not really arguing. I can't really debate this because my, my own position on this is if there was a choice between the two, you know, I'd like to see Balagoon get a go. Um, so I'm not really fighting Eddie's corner particularly hard here. You know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, where, yeah. you know, a guy who's a backup striker, he doesn't really score any goals off the bench
2: when he starts Ed, games. Eddie Ketchy's agent is safe in his job. with you representing
0: him like this, Andrew? I think, well, he's also Flo Balagoon's agent, so, you know, neither of us are winning here. Um, He's
2: basically doing this. I think he must be, like, in those meetings, like Gollum, you know, pretending to represent (laughs) one, and then he turns around and he's like, but
0: this one has got great
2: potential, kind of thing.
0: (laughs) It's quite possible. It's quite possible. You know, I think we've seen, over the last number of years, we've seen enough of Eddie to kind of know where his ceiling might be, or at least to have a good guess at it. You can never say never, right? But we could have a good guess at it. Whereas with Balogun, like you say, he's younger, he's gone to France, he scored 25, 26 goals, albeit in the league where Alexandre Lacazette scored a similar amount of goals and he looked like he was basically eating pudding for the last, you know, 18 months at Arsenal. Old
2: MacDonald um, won the Golden Boots. <laughs> I believe. Really? Yes, in the Farmers League.
0: Of course. (laughs) So, you know, I think there is uh, some measure of uh, caution in inverted commas to be taken from Balagoon's season. I think it's very impressive. not taking anything away from it, but I do think scoring goals at Premier League level is a bit more difficult. However, I would like to see what he could do. I'd like to see what he could do. Ultimately, though, does it not boil down to what he wants to do as a player does he want to stay at arsenal and be more on the fringes or the periphery of the starting 11 than he would be if he went somewhere else um you know does he really want to give it a go does he back himself to to take his chances at arsenal if his role is secondary to start with you know i think that's a very interesting aspect to this um or does he just you know want to say okay look I've had a brilliant season my stock is high I've got a lot of good choices ahead of me and I want to take one of those choices because they're showing the kind of faith in me that that you know I want Arsenal to show for example
2: yeah i think the thing about the debate thing is that we could have the argument at length back and forth about these two players but there are two factors as you alluded to, that sort of outside of Arsenal's control here. One is what does the individual want to do? Mm. And one is what interest is there in the other one? Yes. Ultimately, we probably haven't got space for both of them in the squad. So if we're going to sell one, then we have to sell, you know, we need actually interest there to do it. And one imagines Balogun after the season he's had, um, there's probably going to be more interested parties, probably at a better price. And I suspect that might weigh heavily in the decision. Yes, um, but I do think he's going to be—he's—he's got—he's going to be a star. I, <laughs> I think he's—I think he is going to um, be a kind of star. I don't know if that—I don't necessarily mean like he's going to be the next uh, Erling Haaland or Kylian Mbappe, but he seems like a man who is very driven and determined and very. He has that kind of Saliba-esque quality of being like old for his years, seeming to have a career plan. Um, I think he's made a really smart choice to go and play for the US.
0: Yes, I agree. I
2: I think it's going to elevate him as a kind of brand, if that's not a horrible word. I think he's going to be a, a big player on the international scene. So, yeah, a big part of me would like to see that happen at Arsenal. But if he is, you know, when he get, I think when he gets his head set on something, he's very driven to get there. If he wants to go and play regular first-team football, he probably recognises as much as he loves Arsenal, it might not be the place to do that.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. You you have to look at all the factors, as you say. Like, if there was a buyer out there for Eddie Nketiah, and, and if someone was to put money on the table for him and we said to Balagoon, look... We've got Gabriel Jesus, we've got um, Leandro Trossard who can play there, but you're another striker, you're another nine. Uh, not, not completely different from Gabriel Jesus. I mean, they're not the same player, but, you know, I think Balagoon is probably a little more clinical in the, in the penalty area from what we've seen anyway from this season. But, you know, if that was an option on the table, I'd be really keen for Arsenal to, to make that happen. The question is, is anybody in for Eddie? Is anybody going to buy him? Is anybody interested in in taking him? Um,
2: His name's been mentioned mm. in dispatches uh, sort of relating to Declan Rice and West Ham. There's been the yeah. odd mention, hasn't there, of, of their um, kind of latent interest in Eddie, I think, which has been there in previous windows. I, I wouldn't know at this point in time. Uh, but Balogun, you know, I think it's going to have plenty of suitors. So Arsenal might even be able to generate a mm. bit of an auction there. Um, it's it's a it's a really interesting one, and I think the fa- the fact that it is the same agent representing both players almost adds a layer of intrigue and complexity to it as well.
0: It does. He's be, yeah
2: completely privy right to to all those conversations that are happening on with both strikers.
0: Well, that's it, and I was sort of worried about that. Uh, I don't want to call it a conflict of interest, Um, you know, but I was worried about that relationship when Balagoon was, you know, nearing the end of his deal. Like what assurances did Arsenal give to that agent and those players, both Eddie and Balagoon for them to sign new contracts you know, with the club, I know there's a bit of a time gap between them, but obviously when Arsenal gave Eddie a new deal last year, there must have been some career plan put in front of him that he went, okay, this is good, because he could have left for free. You know, he could have gone on a Bosman. I think he would have gone or would have had a, a you know, a, a fair amount of choice. Um,
2: so Well, interesting in Balogun's case, I think one of the key things when he signed his new contract... um was this assurance that you'll go out on loan, you mm. know, and you'll have this opportunity to develop yourself. And obviously he really seized it and took it brilliantly, that chance, uh, and embraced it. And it's interesting that now he's like, I've done that. Because yeah. obviously he went to Middlesbrough the season before that as well for um, six months, yeah. Six months or so, yeah. So I think he feels like he's done that portion of his career. Mm. Now it's time for the next step. And he probably looks at someone like Erling Haaland and thinks, well, you know, he's at Man City now, but what was the move he made before that? He went to Dortmund. You know, he went to a place with a great record of producing young talent where he knew he'd play regularly. Sure, Um, I'm sure he's scouring Europe thinking, is there an opportunity like that for me where I'll be one of the first names on the team sheet? I know I'll get the chance. And it's a brilliant stepping stone to where I ultimately want to be.
0: Sure, I mean, I suppose the difference is is that Haaland was making progressive steps up the football ladder. You know, from the time he was young, going to um, Salzburg, was it, and then Borussia yeah. Dortmund, and then Manchester City. So each one was a was a step up in terms of the level. Whereas Balogun is already at Arsenal, uh, a yeah. really good club for young players, as we've seen, a uh, club that's in the Champions League, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is going to be a very interesting one, one that might play out over the course of the summer. You know, we're going on a tour of the U.S., right? We're well, yeah. going to play the, uh, the the all-star game in um, Washington, D.C., I think, and then Manchester United, of course, in, in New York, uh, and then Barcelona in Los Angeles. I mean, if you're... Squad includes the USMNT's number one striker, hot new thing. It would make a lot of sense to make sure he was there for those games. You know, if you're, if you accept that part of preseason obviously is, is about conditioning, about tactics, about, you know, getting everybody fit, et cetera, et cetera. But another part of it is building your, again, coming back to the, the brand thing, it's about generating you know, new supporters and new fans from all over the world, which is why we've gone to, um, you know, all the places that we've gone to over the last number of years, you know, all across the world. Part of that is to give you visibility so that you generate new supporters and, and your global fan base grows. It just would make sense to have Balagoon in your team for those games in the US.
2: Well, also, even aside from the kind of marketing angle, I would like Mikel Arteta to take a good look at this player. Yeah. Um, You know, at close quarters as he's done previously with William Saliba and, you know, one or two others who've come back from loan spells and make that assessment then when he's working day in, day out with Flo Balogun and Eddie Nketiah. Uh, And if he does that and he makes a call, I think we have to trust it based on, what he had seen. I think it would be a shame if Balogun were to leave without ever even having that kind of pre-season period to sure. make his case. Um, so there'd be lots of reasons that it would be great to to, to delay this decision a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I but guess- yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, it's not lost on me that when Balogun was negotiating his contract, all the indications were kind of He's not going to sign it. He's not going to go until Arsenal was sort of forced maybe to sort of roll out the red carpet a bit and, um, you know, make him an offer that met what he wanted. Hmm. And so I don't think, I think we can take it at face value, the reporting that, you know, he's likelier to go than to stay, but I don't think we can rule out that there is an element of that to this as well, that, you know, he's just saying, these are my demands, these are my expectations, and the ball is sort of in Arsenal's court as to how they deal with that.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, what, what? how do you view it from the perspective of somebody who might say, well, look, you know, he's a young striker. Arsenal are a team on the up. They finished second in the Premier League last season. They are improving. You know, is it a bit premature of somebody like Balagoon to to sort of make demands is not quite the right word, but to say, look, this is what I want in my career. um, And if I can get that here, great. And if I can't get that here, then I'm willing to move because, you know, that's, that's what I want. Do you, I mean, I think it's perfectly reasonable for a player and a talented player and somebody who believes in themselves, uh, believes in themselves to say, you know, I don't want to play second fiddle, even to somebody like Gabriel Jesus. If it's unrealistic, I I still think well, fair fucks, he's backing himself for that. Um, you know, a footballer a footballer's career is relatively short, so you do have to try and make the most of the opportunities you have.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. I I, I do see the case that who is he to be, um, you know, holding on sort of ransom or whatever expression you want to use. But I think it's not only reasonable, I think it's sort of quite admirable in a young player to be so single-minded about what you want and your trajectory. I actually think it's a really positive indicator for him and his career. I think players who uh, have that kind of mentality Mm. often achieve extraordinary things. I mean, you know, Nicholas Bentner was someone who was mocked for his level of confidence and self-belief, but actually... I think he's sort of the outlier in some respects in in terms of the disparity between his self-belief and what he ultimately ended up achieving. And I think there are a lot of different factors that contribute to that. I think by and large, you know, these top athletes, they all have um, that level of conviction in what they're doing. And I think, yeah, I, I, think it, I think it could be a really helpful thing for Balogun in his career. So, mm. yeah, well, see, I'm really, really, really curious to see how this one pans out. I, if I was putting money on it today... You know, we did our transfer predictions last week and I had him on the list to go. I still think probably he will go because he seems to have quite a fixed idea and plan for his career at this point in time. But I would be lying if I said I wasn't at least curious to see what he might be able to accomplish with Arsenal next
0: season. Yes, I am I, with you on that. Um, I suppose the other thing that we should talk about is the pursuit of Kai Havertz, which we... I don't think we talked about last week. I don't think that had really emerged to any great extent last week. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we did talk about it, but you know, so much has happened in the last week. I've, you know, lost my wallet and, and all kinds of things. Um, but it, it does appear to be one which has a significant amount of of legs, uh, as they say, probably two legs. Um, but there has been, I think, a, a fair amount of reaction to it as well um, and also you know some of the stuff that's going on at Chelsea which I'll ask you about now in a minute but what's your thoughts on Havertz? let me actually put a question to you because we did have a question a couple of questions here um, let's see uh, hi my name is Ko on the discord said Uh, If we end up signing him, where do you see Havertz fitting into the team? He's mostly played as a nine at Chelsea. Is he an eight coming in for Xhaka? Obviously, Arteta sees something in him and has a plan. I'd love to hear your takes. And Jad says, um, there's been a lot of totally reasonable and calm discussions about Kai Havertz. I think was in the sarcasm font, but I can't tell. Uh, and where he's going to play if we signed him. But all of this discussion is based off the way we set up last season. Do you think it's possible that since next season is potentially phase four of this team's development, we could see Arsenal set up differently and hence make the panic around Havertz's potential position a bit overblown?
2: A lot, a lot there. Mm. Um, we didn't really speak about it last week because it hadn't... Uh really taken, caught light as a story. Um, the only r- sort of reference which we spoke about it was when we were discussing, you know, how much money we might spend this summer or, or who we might bring in. Um, I think my the first thing I did was text my brother, right, who's a Chelsea fan, mm. as long-term listeners will know. And he came back to me straight away and said he's been very bad for... The last few months at Chelsea, but I still wouldn't let him go because there is clearly a brilliant player in there, um, and that sentiment was kind of backed up by Liam Toomey, who's the one of the Chelsea correspondents in Athletic, who said, "You know, there is something crushingly inevitable about how Havertz uh, is going to be brilliant for his next club." So, you know, he's not the most popular man with Chelsea fans. But I don't know what how much stock we place in general in their opinions of footballers. Um but I think the the ones I trust most among them recognize there's certainly a lot of talent there. I don't think that's really in question yeah.
0: at this point. Yeah, I've got a cousin who's a big Chelsea fan as well, who who reckon said basically the same thing, really talented, completely um uh not wasted playing up front, but like as an ill fit for the strikers position uh, at Chelsea. And I do think as well, there is an element of it being quite difficult to properly gauge any player at Chelsea on an individual basis over the last couple of years because of how you know, weird they have been as a as a team and as a, a club, you know. But he was highly rated before he came to Chelsea, wasn't he? You know, there was a lot of uh, hype around him at the time and it felt like a big move for them and it hasn't worked out. I mean, how much of this do you think is the Chelsea factor? Like, tainted by association. And obviously we've had some deals with Chelsea players down the years which really haven't gone particularly well. Uh, and the, the the other aspect of this is their financial issues, which um, I've got a question about now as well, but the idea that we could be giving them money that they're then going to go and spend on a player that we want, you know, that way. Is that is that an un, unfair reaction? Is it a bit simplistic to sort of say, well, if we give Chelsea this, they're just going to add it all up and go and get Caicedo, and that will be all our fault?
2: I think that's too simplistic. I agree. I, I, uh, yeah, I think that... If we are willing to give Chelsea X million for Kai Havertz, we're doing that because we think we're getting the better end of that deal. And I think that Chelsea will find a way to spend money in significant sums this summer, irrespective of what we do. Like, as is becoming clear, and we will get to this sort of subjects in question, they have various financial levers that they can pull um, to kind of liberate them from some of the FFP restrictions, I I think. Mm -hmm. And I think they'll find a way to do that. Um, And, you know, we're sort of seeing that starts happen already. To come back to the player and the Chelsea thing, maybe. I mean, there is a bit of a chequered history there. It's principally Willian. I think Louise, a lot of people didn't like it. But actually, I think when he was actually on the pitch for us... You know, he, I, he had good moments and bad moments, certainly. Mm. Uh, Jorginho, um, I think, has surpassed a lot of people's expectations. I'm not saying he's been a world beater or anything, but I think he's shown himself to be a decent player and was actually quite useful for us in the second half of the season at times. Um, but there is still a slightly uncomfortable feeling about signing a player from you know, a, a, a rival club and a club we don't like. I sort of think if Mikel Arteta really believes in Kai Havertz, and clearly they do because he won't be cheap, whatever fee we negotiate, his salary will put him, you know, at the heavy end in Arsenal terms. Um, certainly, I would imagine, north of £200,000 a week based on what his package has been at Chelsea. You know, they must really love this player. And I personally feel like. Uh, as a decision-maker and in terms of talent identification, Mikel Arteta has earned my trust. So if he really thinks that Kai Havertz can be a big contributor for Arsenal, then I'm excited to see what that might look like.
0: Yeah, listen, I completely get anyone who feels like this is uh, annoying or underwhelming or a deal you don't particularly like because of – what the player has done at Chelsea over the last uh, little while, which is not brilliant by any means. So I, I absolutely get that. And I share some of those concerns and I, do I worry about the money? Not especially worry about the money, but I think there's a point where you could go much more easily and say, okay, yeah, it's well worth it for that kind of money. Whereas I think it's a little towards the high end of where I would feel comfortable with it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: However, there have been numerous examples in the last little while of Mikel Arteta backing a move for a player over whom fans had a lot of doubts and which ultimately turned out to be good deals for Arsenal. You know, you can think about Aaron Ramsdale. You can even think about Ben White, for example, um, you know, where people were going, yeah, Ben White's good, but 50 million? It's 50 million good. That's, that, that's a lot for Ben White, you know, but here we are down the line and, you know, those deals look very good. So, you know, I don't, I'm not saying everybody should just accept everything without questioning it or without having their normal, I guess what you would say, your your sort of visceral reaction to something, right? Um, where you can think about things differently than maybe your heart feels about them, you know? But I think there is evidence that our Arteta has, when it's come down to it, um, made good decisions about players who can fit into this team and give him things that he wants. And what's sort of blind to us at this moment in time is what does he want from Kai Havertz? What's your sense of this? Is it you know, I've seen people ask, like, is he gonna be the eight? You know, is he gonna play in the granite shacker position? Is he somebody who could play you know, up front with Jesus? Is he somebody who could play on the right? He's played on the right for Chelsea quite a lot as well. So do you think he's more of a front three player or more of a attacking midfield addition or, or perhaps a, a bit of both?
2: That seems to be the big question at the moment. You know, I've seen a lot of debate about that online. Um, I mean, you know, I said to a couple of people Including, I said to ask my brother, do you think he could play in Granit Shacker's position? Bear in mind, he, he watched a lot of Arsenal last season. Mm. And he was like, absolutely not. No way. Not having it. Um, right. Now, that's one man's opinion. But I also spoke to some people sort of around Arsenal and said, look, could he do that job? Uh, and th- it was kind of a maybe. You know, maybe if you set up the midfield in a certain way, if Martin Odegaard played slightly deeper, if instead of Thomas Partey you had a more defensive-minded player tucked in behind Kai Havertz in certain games, maybe at home, Mm. you could do that. But I I think... um, Crucially, the one person I haven't spoken to about it, of course, is Mikel Arteta, and he will have his own ideas. Just just ring him up now, then. Hang on,
0: I'll wait. Ring him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: <laughs> he doesn't take my calls anymore. Um, but I think... See, I think... I personally think people are going to get annoyed about this because I feel like people want him to be the number eight. But I personally think that he's someone who'd be more in the front three, yeah. more as a kind of quasi-number nine, like, you know, uh, or, or maybe even a second striker if we went to two up, two up top. I think that's where we would see him most often. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think Ben White was going to come in and be converted into a a right-back a year later. Or, you know, I didn't think Granit Xhaka was going to be a box-to-box midfielder. Part of the intrigue is not knowing, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I agree. What do you think? I think my gut feeling is that he'd be somebody who gives a step in the the forward positions. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, we're going to have a lot of games. We're going to have a lot of Champions League games. We are going to have to rotate. There are are not going to be players who are going to play every single Champions League game and every single Premier League game. You know, we have to be sensible about how we manage our squad. And the way to do that is to add players who you believe can um, function properly at the levels you want to be at. And I think Havertz obviously has played. And he score a winner. Did he score the winner in the Champions League final? He did. We said last week, I think maybe. I mean, we
2: did talk about it briefly because we we're talking about what did he do in Porto, and that was what he did in Porto. Scored the winner against Man City
0: in the Champions yeah. League final. So you know he's got experience at that level. Whether people like him or not, there is that experience there, and I think that could be that could be useful. I don't see him really as as the eight. Uh, I think he's clearly a very good technical footballer, but I don't really see him in there. And I would trust your your brother's judgment. You know, he's watched him an awful lot more than than I have. And he's watched Arsenal a lot as well. So unless there's something changing in the way that we're set up in midfield, then uh, I don't see that. But I think it's somebody who's coming into the forward line. Um...
2: I mean, something may change in midfield. We don't know. I I think that... um... I I, I do. The thing about him coming from Chelsea is obviously, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable with it. But uh, personally, I would find it very funny if he came from Chelsea and fulfilled his talent. You know, that would be amusing to me. And there is a good track record at Arsenal of extremely gifted young players who've made a big move in their career and it hasn't necessarily panned out for them. And then they found at home at Arsenal, you know, and I'm not saying Havertz is on this level, but that's the story of Dennis Burkham. It's the story of Thierry Henry. It's arguably the story of Martin Odegaard. Um, you know, we have uh, in our recent-ish history developed players who have maybe kind of taken a wrong turn in their career. Mm. Um, and I, 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 there was a good clip of Thomas Tuckle talking about Havertz and he was talking about him and what he could be and his talent level and Burkamp and Rob Van Persie were both uh, players that he cited as kind of similar stylistically. I think, I think he has been a little bit victim of not really having a position at Chelsea and a lot of people say, well, his best position is kind of a second striker, but not a lot of teams play with mm. a second striker these days. Havertz himself has called, has described himself as, I think he said, I'm basically a midfielder that makes runs into the box. Um, that said, he's played a lot of his football as a, a number nine. So it, it's a bit of a enigma. And mm. I, I, I'm very curious if he comes to Arsenal to see how it pans out. But I think if he does come to Arsenal in terms of pure football talent, I think he'd be in the top ten, fifteen percent of our squad. I think he's got that much natural ability.
3: Hmm.
0: Well, it will but, be. You know,
2: yeah. Meza had more natural ability than anybody, but he didn't always find it easy to fit. You know.
0: Well, that's it. And and look, the last thing I'll say on on him is that I I can't see us splashing out that amount of money without having a clear idea of what he can bring to the squad, and that no,
2: and that he must have had those conversations.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for um, sure.
2: Because he's he's decided on Arsenal effectively at this point in time. So from his side of things, this is a, a move he wants to happen. Mm. To be honest, I get the sense from all sides that this is one that probably will happen that kind of suits uh, everybody. So mm. very interesting to see. I mean, I, I know that people are looking at it and saying, well, that's, you know... 50-60% of what would be required to sign Caicedo, or I thought we were getting Rice and Caicedo, but I have always felt that we are losing the Granite Xhaka of last season, not the Granite Xhaka of five seasons ago. We're losing a player who brought goals and assists to this squad, and that needs to be replaced as well. Mm. So I've always felt there would be at least one attacking addition just to ensure we have multiple goal threats within the
0: group. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, sort of moving on a little bit of a tangent, there was a report or a little tidbit from Fabrizio Romano saying that he believes there's a concrete chance that Thomas Partey could leave the club this summer. Does that... Mm feed into this or do you think that would be a separate thing and how do Arsenal if they do let Thomas Partey go and let Granit Xhaka go how do you bolster your midfield in in that sense because if you're looking at Havertz as somebody who's playing further forward losing Xhaka and Partey and bringing in only Declan Rice leaves us I think very short in a a key position.
2: Yeah and I don't think that would happen I think if if
0: what do you think wouldn't uh, happen, that that we would leave ourselves short or that we would let both of them go?
2: Oh, I, I think if we let both go, we'd bring in another um, deeper midfield player alongside Declan Rice. Mm. And, you know, there were links this week to Romeo Lavia of mm-hmm. Southampton, which is has long been known that that's a player that Arsenal like. Um, a lot of other top Premier League clubs also like him. So it's not exactly a free run at the player. Um, and I think there's also something in his contract with Man City, isn't there? A, a buyback potentially, which could complicate matters. Um, but somebody like that, I would envisage, you know, would come in. When I sort of did some digging around Lavio in the week, the, the messaging was kind of, the message I got was sort of, that's something that might happen if somebody else left, you know? And right? That somebody else could only really be Thomas Partey. Yeah.
0: Um, and what do you think of and the... we have
2: discussed mm. previously, haven't we, on here, that he could be, uh, in inverted commas, surprise departure this year.
0: Yeah, and there's talk of clubs in Saudi Arabia being interested. Mm-hmm. And I think this is still very, very early in the summer. But the potential impact that the development in the Saudi Arabian League could have on the European transfer market is... I think uh, something to to keep a really close eye on over the course of of this transfer window, not just in the Premier League, because I think the Premier League exists in its own little bubble, which is why we see more and more transfers between Premier League clubs, particularly the big clubs. Um, That's just the way it goes when your league is the richest in the world. But, you know, the the talent pool that they could... um, bring in from across the big leagues in, in Europe is really quite something, the sort of players that they could attract. And then the money that goes into those clubs who will then try and replace those players, um, you know, everybody could be a bit flush. Well, not everybody, but there could be quite a lot of money slushing around by the end of this transfer window.
2: Well, it must be an enormous relief to Premier League clubs because, as you say, in the last few years... They've only really been able to sell players to each other. Um, There was that brief window a few years ago when China were big players in the market Mm -hmm. and Chelsea took great advantage of that at the time. Uh, They sold a number of players, you know, Ramirez being one, uh, Oscar, I think, for big money to China, uh, to bankroll spending of their own uh, and navigate FFP. And now, it looks like they may be the major beneficiaries of the emergence of Saudi League, um, which, which from what we read and what we imagine based on the amount of money behind it, is is a probably a more sustainable operation, something that may you know mm. keep going in the longer term than Chinese Super League. So, yeah, that is a fascinating development. As as for Partey himself, I mean, uh, it would be a, a gamble, I guess, to allow both Shaka and Partey to leave in the same summer. They're two thirds of the midfield that uh, propelled Arsenal into the mm. title challenge. But I guess, I guess, you know, that the squad has to continue to evolve, and there has been a, a sense ever since he arrived at Arsenal that Partey would probably eventually leave for nothing at the end of his contract. I think people have sort of accepted that he was likely to come to Arsenal, see out his contract and then mm. you know go elsewhere. So maybe they're just thinking this summer, if there is an opportunity via Saudi or via elsewhere to actually make some money back on this player, maybe it's something worth doing.
0: Yeah. Um, it would be tempting if you could get actual money for him and uh, you could then renew your midfield. But of course, it would be all about how well you replace both those players. Like if Declan Rice is the de facto replacement for Granit Xhaka, then you're going to need somebody who's pretty much oven ready to come in and replace Thomas Partey, you know? So, uh, yeah,
2: be... I, I still think Declan Rice will play at the base for Arsenal. I think he'll play mm. in Partey's position personally.
0: Right. Um, I, yeah, I just sort of meant in terms of like one out, one in, you know, I think it's for sure. gonna be when party
2: goes, yeah. you've got to get somebody in. Get and, somebody else. and look, I mean I've said several times on here, I don't think it's gonna be Caicedo. Um in the last seven days since we last did one of these pods, you know, things seem to have uh more and more is emerging about Kaiseido and Chelsea and I, I just feel that one is I felt for a while that, that would be his destination and I, I still think that.
0: What a complete lack of ambition from that player! Um, joining, a... <laughs> yeah, joining yeah. A...
2: I mean, it almost makes you think his, um, you know, January uh, plea uh, to join Arsenal, uh, you know, may not have been entirely heartfelt. But who knows? Um, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We, we shall see. It's, it's. I think the midfield uh, jigsaw is an interesting one for Arsenal this summer, and it seems like there's quite a big redevelopment job going on it's interesting we spoke uh in the run-in about how we felt Arteta would be ruthless this summer Mm. and I think we may be seeing that happen but even when it happens even though we sort of say at the time you know we've got to be ruthless when it actually happens it can be quite uncomfortable
0: yes if, yeah yeah you're a bit you know. like ooh is that a bit too ruthless maybe. yeah yeah
2: and maybe who knows we'll we'll have to find out but yeah i'm really um yeah interested to see what happens there what what else uh um, well
0: let's why don't we um take a little break here because we've gone 49 minutes in so we should probably take oh, a wow, little break okay, yeah yeah um we've got some questions and stuff like that which can kind of continue the theme of this this conversation but uh let people make a cup of tea or whatever and uh we'll come back in part two yeah let's do it all right you missed a big opportunity there i know right Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to the AskCast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnar Blog and insert about 5,000 ads here at Ars Blog just to give you the full audio Twitter experience. Uh, also on the Ars Blog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an Ars Blog member on Patreon. We had a lot of questions, James, about we were talking about Chelsea and Havertz and Thomas Partey in Saudi Arabia and the developments in the Saudi Arabian League. And there was a tweet from James Knowlton, uh, who's at J.D. Knowlton. He said the Saudi Public Investment Fund now owns majority stakes in each of the Saudi clubs, the big four that um, are being pushed as the ones to take all these players from Europe. But they also have invested in Chelsea's majority owner, Clear Lake Capital. Chelsea owner Todd Bowley visited Saudi Arabia this month, and now Chelsea are selling unwanted high-earning players to these teams. Talk of uh, Mendy, Koulibaly, Ziyech, etc., etc. Are you in any way surprised, or is this a very very cynical way of looking at the, the world that we live in, that a, a hedge fund, a vulture fund, whatever you want to call them, might be up to financial shenanigans i can't
2: i'm still upset about saying let's do it let's let's
0: do it instead of let's do this at the end yeah. of part one and fucked it yeah i mean completely I fucked my own catchphrase do you want to just stop now and
2: i just don't really see how i'm supposed to carry on with the podcast. <laughs> Um I'll just crowbar it in now. Let's do this. Oh, um, it didn't really work. Oh, fuck! Damn! 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 He was celebra- Andrew was celebrating over the break between part one and part two. He thought <laughs> it was the end of. Let's do this. He was running around his office.
0: It's I'm. It's going to come board. back
2: bigger. It's going to come back stronger.
0: I'm on board. I got. I mean, I got the tattoo and everything.
2: You've got the tattoo. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, this is uh, really interesting. I don't know as fact that Sanabil, who are an investment arm, I think, of PIF or or Saudi um, Mm -hmm. royal family, are invested in the company that owns the majority of Chelsea, um, Clear Lake. I've, I've read the same as you, but... I I haven't dug into it. I don't know. Right. I find it entirely plausible because Santa Bill are, are basically a listed partner in uh pretty much every major Silicon Valley fund. Um you know, their their reach is pretty extensive, and mm. you can see a lot of that on their website. Um the interesting thing about Chelsea is that there's a big sort of black hole in their Ownership, you know, there's like, because it's a fund, uh, not everyone knows who's got a stake in Chelsea. And that adds a sort of layer of intrigue to things. Um, Todd Bowley, as we understand it, went out to Saudi Arabia and came back with bids for four of his first-team players that he doesn't want anymore. It's handy, um, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good trip to be fair, probably to a value of about hundred million or something like that. You know? mm. Not bad work. Um, it's pretty, it feels a long way from Arsenal's partnership with Beveren, doesn't it? Back in the day. <laughs> yes, it does rather. It does. <laughs> I guess this is how all this starts, but
0: um, yeah, it, it's pretty bleak. It's hard I not think. to be cynical, isn't it? That That's, you know, uh, wheels within wheels or palms being greased or whatever it might be, you know, that, that there is, a um, I I mean, it's probably above board, like it's probably not illegal to do it, but it might be morally suspect, you know, but this is where we are with uh, you know, the rules on finances in football, multi-club ownership, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's ripe for abuse, if that's the right word, or certainly um, you could take advantage of some of the lack of uh, restrictions or regulations in, in this kind of way. But, yeah, it's hard not to be cynical. Chelsea don't want the these players. The rules to be bent, aren't they? They certainly know? are. They certainly are. And it's like, I don't know, camp beat them join them or do you take the moral high ground or what what do you do in, in a situation like this um yeah i don't know i don't know i'd need to see more well, i guess we will sell different. Thomas
2: pie saudi arabia
0: <laughs> well i mean we were talking about nicholas pepe last week as well weren't we you you take yeah. the money because everyone else is going to take the money everyone will take the money that is that's just the way it goes i i um
2: This is an interesting question from Simon Bird, who's at BirdmanLivesOn on on Twitter. And they said, as two people have made their careers around football, could you ever imagine a moment coming and how far away is it where you walk away from the game entirely given the road it seems to be headed down in terms of owners
0: and monetary dealings, etc.? It is a really interesting question. The reality of it is... Like, I think if you took us youthful, spry, um, fledgling bloggers from 20 years ago, right, mm-hmm. and immediately brought us forward 20 years and said, this is what football's going to be like, you'd say, fuck, don't know about that. That seems, that seems a bit grim, doesn't it? Don't, yeah, really, don't really think that could ha- How could that happen? what happens is it's incremental. It's the boiling frog analogy, isn't it? That you, uh, things just happen and happen and you get used to it and you get, um, it all sort of happens across the board in a way. I mean, I guess there would be, but I don't quite know at what point.
2: Yeah. It's tricky as well because, you know, you've you've got a certain obligation or duty you've got a community you know Mm. that you maintain and support so to walk away from them would be a big thing in itself right
3: well
0: that's it I mean and you can to you to a certain extent cultivate your own football community whether it's your friends that you go to games with or don't go to games with or that you meet in the pub wherever you are in the world you know the, the the unpleasant aspects of football don't make the really pleasant parts of football any less pleasant, you know what I mean? So going to a game or, or the social aspect of being a fan of a football club and meeting other fans and, and all those kinds of things and the way that football can and does, you know, I think we can sometimes get a little bit blinded to the, the seedier aspects of the game and, and how it operates and we forget that football plays a very valuable role in the lives of many people and football clubs do a lot of good in their communities and all that kind of stuff you can lose sight of that when you see stuff like this going on you think it's just well this is fucking black mirror bleak kind of you know there's no escape we're all being sucked into this um chasm of of horrendousness i don't think that's necessarily everybody's experience because if it was like that you wouldn't be part of it you know so what 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 happens is football or those aspects of football they piggyback on all the good things, and we still enjoy all the good things. We enjoy the goals, we enjoy the games, we enjoy the the days out, the nights out, whatever it might be. They don't really change. But it's all the other stuff that's underneath it that does. I don't know. I mean, where else can it go? Like, beyond some sort of evil intergalactic race coming along, and buying a football club, what what more can uh, – this probably sounds stupid or naive, but where can, where else can it go? Like, I don't know. So, yeah. What else could possibly go wrong?
2: Fast forward 10 years. Yeah, yeah. What <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it kind of is what it is now. I was really struck in the week by this tweet from Tarek Panja, who's a journalist at the New York Times. Tarek said, I was talking to a similarly middle-aged fan yesterday and I'm prepared now, having turned 37 uh, over the weekend, to include myself in that bracket. Sure. And he wrote, and I realised for all our sense that something is wrong with the game, it might be us. Maybe the younger generation are all in on state-backed super teams, top clubs hoarding best talent and lopsided games. Times and tastes change. And I I don't know. <clears throat> but I do think as older fans, we probably have to be mindful that our sort of uh gut reaction to the way the game is going may not be a, a you know, a universally held opinion.
0: I guess, but I suppose you when you follow a sport or when you're interested in a in a sport what you want is some sense of fairness, sporting integrity, competitiveness, right? Because mm-hmm. it is boring when one team is so much better than everybody else. Like the only jeopardy is, I like, go, oh, who's going to finish top four? We already know who's going to win the title. Boring. That's got to be boring for everybody apart from fans of that one particular club that are going to win everything, right? So I think there is something. I get that times change and people's experiences change and what you're what you're open to, you know, you know, if you grow up with something one way and 30 years later it's something completely different, there is a tendency to look back and say oh those were the good old days. You know, those were that's when football was really football. Yeah. Um but what you could easily also say is that football has never been as skilled as technical as physical the developments in in the way that uh, you know clubs and players develop tactically all those kinds of things you know um you know this is this is the way that the sport changes uh, and everything else so i do uh, worry a little that you, you know you can look back with rose-tinted glasses and not appreciate what you've got in front of you but i think those Things are slightly distinct from who owns the clubs. Where does the money come from? What is the reason for this person investing in this football club or this country or this billionaire or this oligarch or whatever it is? I mean, even the even going back to Abramovich, the very first one, you know, the one that completely changed the landscape of football, Roman Abramovich did not buy Chelsea because he loved football. He didn't buy Chelsea because he loved Chelsea. He didn't buy Chelsea to engage in a sporting project that would bring him success, and therefore he could feel validated by his his investment. The reason he did it was to make sure he had a high profile uh, at a time when oligarchs were... Going through some difficult periods, and so being visible gave them a, a sort of protection. There were political reasons for his investment in Chelsea, and there are political reasons in in um, the investments that are being made now. And we all know and understand what they are, but it, I do think they are distinct from the game of football itself, even if they are, even if they're having a, a very big impact on on um, you know the competitiveness in. The Premier League in certainly in France. You know, there's um there are real negatives about those kinds of investments, even if it's probably a lot of fun for you know, fans of Man City or fans of PSG and maybe fans of Newcastle now, maybe fans of Manchester United if if that deal goes through. I mean it will be very interesting to, to hear what Manchester United fans would have to say. I'm sure they've had a lot to say about Manchester City's success and how it was achieved. Will they have the same things to say if that investment goes through?
2: Well, we all love our teams and we all want our teams to win. And I bet you the day after Man City completed their treble, there was a lot more support for a Qatari takeover of United than there had been the day before. Probably, yeah. Um, I think that is probably the reality. I mean, you know, in the in the week, when was this? A couple of weeks ago, maybe June the ninth. Newcastle United announced their multi-year front of shirt sponsor uh, as seller,
3: mm. um,
2: a dynamic creator of spectacular experiences and iconic destinations across recreational industries, um, based in, you guessed it, Saudi Arabia, mm. a- and they had the nerve in their announcement video to say we went through a highly competitive process i mean <laughs> just absolutely ludicrous
0: yeah, um, I mean nobody believes that
2: no but equally you know within the, within the it's within the rules so as I say they're there to be bent and there's plenty of people out there bending them mm. um, I think there could be a point
0: where I might think, oh, I don't know if I can hack this, but I, th- like- I think there is, but I don't quite know what it is yet. I mean, if you know what happens if Arsenal are bought by a nation state, exactly. What if yeah. Luxembourg bought Arsenal, you know, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's sort of hypothetical, but I guess there is, everybody has their own line in the sand. I think but whoever, well,
2: I, I, my suspicion, I mean, this game is getting bigger and bigger and more popular than ever on a global scale. So, however many of us draw a line in the sand, there'll be plenty of other fans lining up to replace us. For sure. I think is the reality.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's move on to something a little more football y and perhaps less depressing. Um, okay. St- a novel thought. St- Sten10 on the Discord said I've been pondering the curious case of Ainsley Maitland Niles. That sounds like a movie, doesn't it? The Curious Case of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, starring James McNicholas. Let's do this. Do you think that if Ainsley had a crystal ball and was able to see into the future, he'd he'd still insisted a few years ago on not wanting to play at fullback? We've seen with Zinchenko the position evolve and give much more opportunity to pretty much become an extra midfielder for large parts of the match. With Ainsley's speed, I think he'd have been great at giving us an extra body in midfield while also being able to get back into position quickly when needed. Do you think he'll have some regrets when he looks back in a few years?
2: Oh, beyond doubt. Beyond doubt. I, it's funny. I think there'll be a lot of people with regrets about Ainsley Maitland and our situation. I'm sure Arsenal regret not taking £15 million from Wolves way back when. Um, You know, to lose him for nothing, that's quite a big drop-off there. Mm. Uh, But I also think the player will have um, regrets. I think there was an incredible opportunity for him around that summer of, I think it was 2020, to establish himself and, you know, just be a really important squad member, not even necessarily someone who started every game, but someone who was versatile, very useful. Uh, And it's a shame, I think, that, you know, n- since then, mm. none of his m- moves have particularly worked out. And I, I don't know what the future holds for him. I hope he can turn it round and pull it back and make a really good career for himself. You know, he's in a decent position now as a free transfer but he was part of a pretty dismal Southampton team last season. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there'll be regrets on all sides. What
0: about, what about you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's very difficult to foresee the development of a, of a, of a position like fullback in the way that he did, but I, I'm pretty sure I remember, did he play like Arteta's first two or three games at right back and he played in a s- sort of inverted way? Yeah, and it was happening elsewhere in the league. You know, City were
2: doing it by then. Fabian Delph was playing full-back for Man City mm. while Arteta was still there. Um, you know, this was already happening and and Ainsley was doing it. He was doing it at Arsenal. He was playing right back and, as you say, stepping into midfield or playing narrow at times or playing as a left wing-back, but joining in with central midfield. He was doing it. Um, And he was well-suited to it. Yeah, I think he... He wasn't Zinchenko. No. He could do a different kind of job in that position.
0: I think where he will probably look back with some regret is not seeing the opportunity he had at right-back at Arsenal, even if it wasn't exactly what he wanted. But then he always there were always kind of mixed messages about where he wanted to play. I remember him talking about wanting to play as a winger. You know, and then he wanted to play as a midfielder and I think if he'd just got his head down and really worked hard at that right back position especially under somebody like Mikel Arteta even if his long long term future wasn't assured at Arsenal I think he would now be you know a very well established full back he could play on both sides remember he played as a wing back in the FA Cup semi-final and final you know, it was Bakayo Saka on the bench back then. It was Ainsley Maitland Niles who played. Yeah, left wing back. You know? So I think that versatility in both fullback slash wing back positions is something that he he really should have lent into. That was that was the big opportunity for him. And I think his desire or his his look, you, we talked earlier about a player wanting what they want from their career, you know, and if he wanted to play central midfield, you know, I I get it, but I think he had the opportunity to be a, a fullback, and um, I think he let it pass him by, unfortunately. And like you, I hope you know, I hope he goes somewhere, and I hope he gets you know a good club and a good manager who can bring out you know the talent that is in there. You know, at the end of the day, he leaves Arsenal. I Think he played 125 games for Arsenal, the club he grew up at. So. Um, you know, he Not did many pretty Academy well.
2: Players do that,
0: exactly. You know, and I hope he, you know, after a couple of years where it hasn't really gone well for him, I hope he does um, go on and, and have a good career somewhere else.
2: Yeah, and he listen. He left Arsenal on good terms, and we say, "Oh, will he have regrets?" Perhaps, but I do think we we ask a lot of these young footballers, and he's making some of those statements or some of those decisions at nineteen, twenty, twenty-one mm. years of age, and in a young footballer's career, you know, guidance is incredibly important. And, you you know, lots of people play a role in that, the immediate family, the agent. um, And I think, to be fair to Ainsley, I don't think he always had that great environment to give him the best support in his decision-making. And, I think that shows how critical that can be for a young player. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he's in a more, a much more sort of stable place now. You know, he's changed agents a few times in his short career. Um, And I hope that, you know, he he can now make the right decision for him about what he wants to do.
0: Before we go on to your question, here's another Fabrizio update. Um, Thomas Partey concrete chance to leave, but only if a very good proposal arrives. Uh, Arsenal rate right, Romeo Lavia as a potential replacement. I have a great relationship with his agents. Chelsea interested too, but the focus is on Moises Caicedo. So, mm-hmm. who knows? Who knows? <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot in there. There is. Um, let me have a
2: look. Uh, Chelsea's focus is on Moises Caicedo. Yes, that's correct. But there ah, are other clubs like. Is that who Chelsea's
0: like. folk? Ah, see, that's the way that that is.
2: Yeah, that threw me there. Yeah.
0: Because um, okay. I was like,
2: I don't think, I, you know, I don't think he's Arsenal's focus at this point in time. Um, but Lavia's liked by lots of people, yeah. I mean, he's, a, you know, a very well-regarded young talent, has been for a long time. Um, I'm sure Chelsea, you know, maybe City, others would be mm. looking at him. But he's a very young player, you know, to, to, I just mentioned, it wasn't a
0: great Southampton team last season. No, um, but he's good. I like him. I can see, you know, can see the potential there for sure. Yeah. He's got a bit of
2: swagger about him for sure. And uh, yeah, I think he's a, a big prospect. Mm. So yeah. Well, well, listen, we wish Ainsley well. Um, for sure. What, what, what? So we have another question. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Okay. Uh, Oh, I thought this was interesting. Andy C on Discord. I seem to remember on previous pods, you both said you were uncomfortable about us going for players who had cost close to 100 million. Do you still feel like this with the Rice deal? And has our recent improvement with transfers changed how you feel about those big fees?
0: Maybe a little, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the the way that the market changes and the market develops makes those deals a little more... um, easier to get your head around i should say mhm there is always a gamble when you spend that amount of money 100 million pounds is this, it's an enormous amount of money you know and we lose sight of we lose sight of that because we're always looking at it in the context of football and football transfers you know um there was a lot of that last week wasn't there when west ham rejected our first bid and it was like, oh, just throw another fifteen million, you know. And it's like it's fifteen million pounds, and like the deal that Arsenal proposed was somewhere in the region of ninety million pounds, which would smash our existing transfer record as it is, you know. Um, but you know, for somebody like Declan Rice, you're paying the the English tax, not the not the Irish tax on that one. Um, but he is an England in- international. 24 years of age, you know, he's coming basically into his prime at Arsenal, West Ham, Premier League, um Premier League money, all that kind of stuff. I think makes it a bit easier to to come to terms with those kinds of prices, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think?
2: I would say I'm still I just, I think I'm still in the camp where I'd rather buy two 50 million pound players than a 100 million pound player. I, I I I and I really want Declan Rice. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but if you asked me, you know, given our budgetary situation, to be fair, you know, we seem to have a lot of money compared to many clubs, but I still think when you look at the list of sort of 100 million pound signings there or thereabouts, it is very difficult for them to live up to that billing and feel like a success, you know? Mm. There aren't too many in that bracket where you look at them and think, well, that was absolutely worth every penny. Um, I suppose my sort of comfort level with Rice, first thing I'll say about Rice is Arsenal have been working on this deal for a long time. And I think when they got into it, they thought that sort of 70 or 80 million pounds felt pretty realistic. Mm. And actually, even in the last few months, the market seems to have changed. You know, I don't know if it's off the back of Mudrick going for such an extortionate fee, but you're now seeing Brighton saying they want at least 100 million for Caicedo. And look, these are good players, but. These are huge sums of money, mm-hmm. like extraordinary sums of money. And, yeah, it feels like for a Premier League to Premier League transfer, the, the numbers can just be plucked from anywhere. I, I suppose yeah, my level of comfort with the Rice, if, if it did get close to 100, is sort of roughly where I was with 50 million for Ben White, where at that point in time, 50 million for a Premier League player outside the top six felt like a, an extraordinary amount of money. Mm. But I had great belief in, you know, the talent identification and his ability and all those things. Um, I kind of feel the same about Rice. You know, I know, I know that he can be a top player, but I am still like sort of staggered by what it takes yeah. to sign a top Premier League player.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I. But I think that's the market. I think it is the market. I yeah. think the... You know, if you're West Ham and you're selling Declan Rice and you're saying, well, look, Mudrick cost 100 million. He's done fuck all at Chelsea so far. Anthony cost 95 million. Harry Maguire cost 82 million, whatever it was. Yeah, if-
2: Grealish 100 million.
0: Grealish 100 million. You know, is that a good second season, obviously, at at, um, at Manchester City? But if you're, if you're West Ham, why would you take anything less than that for your best player when there are examples of other big clubs spending just as much or maybe just about as much on players who are nowhere near as good. So there
2: is interest from a Man City in someone like Declan Rice, which West Ham can leverage a bit, you know, to push the price. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: So, yeah, in answer to the original question, I'm not hugely comfortable with it. But I do accept that when you're signing a Premier League player and when you're signing an English player, there is a massive premium attached. And I suppose the question is do I think there's a value in that? And Mm. I do. Like, I do think if we are to lose Shaka and we are to lose potentially Partey as well, there is enormous value in bringing in someone who knows this league, every ground in this league, every team who knows this city, who can hit the ground, hopefully running. Yeah. I think that is worth paying a premium for.
0: Yeah. That's what you're paying for as well as, you know, the player um, uh, and all the reasons that we've talked about, you know, intra Premier League signings and all the rest of it. Um, I,
2: I, I, by the way, on the subject of Declan Rice, I, um, the FA in England put out quite good sort of, training videos um, from the international camp. It's some, they're probably more entertaining than some of the games, I would say. <laughs> um, there's a great one with the goalkeepers. I think goalkeeping training is really satisfying to watch. I don't know if it's just because, like, it's all goals and shots, but there's something about the precision of the work they do that's mm. really captivating. But um, in their most recent one, uh some arsenal fans will be interested to note there was some lovely link up play in one of the small sided games some examples of declan rice and Bakai saka combining to great effect um so if you're if you're fully bought in on declan rice at this point of time that may be worth a watch
0: all right um let me ask a couple here because there are two two or three questions like this um Noling says, Hi gents, are you convinced that KSE know how to build winners as they've won in NFL, NHL, and NBA titles in recent years and Arsenal have much improved? And Jad says, Denver Nuggets uh, won the NBA championship last week, was their first ever title in their entire history. A few years ago, uh, Josh Kroenke made a statement about how KSE's aim for Arsenal was to win the Champions League. Those quotes were not fully embraced on this podcast back then, rightfully so in my opinion, considering the position we were in at the time. But do you think those words uh, hold more value or are more believable now?
2: Well, you can't knock the record. I mean, KSE have delivered wins um, across many of their teams of late, as the question points out, uh, NBA being the, the latest one. It is such a different landscape, though. You know, we're talking mm. about these problems in football of having these rules and regulations that can be bent or broken, maybe, uh, depending on the outcome of the Chargers-Man City phase. Um Whereas the American sports system is so much more controlled um, and things like the draft system, for example, mm. wage caps. You know, I think KSC can probably fare pretty well and pretty competently in that environment. But the Premier League is the Wild West. and And the gold rush. Yeah. And I think... It holds a lot of allure for that reason. And I think it would be a crowning achievement for KFC if they could win a, a Premier League or a Champions League. I think it would rank pretty close alongside the Super, alongside the super Bowl for them. Mm. But I just think um, they're up against a whole different kind of competition from, from where I'm stood. And that's without an intimate knowledge of US sports.
0: Sure. I think. What do, I think you, it, what do you think? I think it's fair to say that they they appear to have learned from some of the mistakes that they made. You know? Yeah. Um, I think they've really transformed their perception at Arsenal. Um,
2: I don't think they're, like, beloved, but I don't think – I feel like it's been a while since I heard
0: Conky out mm -hmm. at Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, nobody talks about the owners when you win a lot of football games. Exactly. When you spend money on players. Um, which help you win football games. So, you know, and I think Arsenal now is a better run football club than it was, um, which doesn't absolve them of some of the decisions that they made or didn't make or or everything else. But uh, if you want to give credit where it's due, it is a better run football club. We are a better uh, team than we were. And that's, you know, all that fans want really. Uh, is to have a good team an enjoyable team we've got that right now and hopefully you know we can go on and and lift the prizes that we um that we all want to see us lift
2: yeah and i think ksc themselves would say uh, if it is a better run club a lot of the credit is due to the management team who are actually on the ground in london you know day in day out um i think while ksc are ultimately responsible for everything
3: it- mm.
0: you know, day to day, there are other people. But but that's their ultimate responsibility is to put those people in charge. They make the decisions about who those people are and they made, you know, maybe some, some um, wrong decisions or, or, you know, didn't do things with the kind of due diligence that they should have um, in the past. And and now we're at the other side of that, thankfully. So um, we are indeed. Yeah, we are indeed. Where are we? I think we've kind of, done everything more or less haven't we um, oh here's one oh, yeah. from James on. Brough uh, he said uh, "Good morning fellas with rumours of Saliba's new squad number how likely are we to see a 1-11 starting lineup next season I saw this was he he's after two is that it
2: some talk that he's after number two yeah um, is it unoccupied I believe it is
0: yeah There's no two. There's no
2: two. So maybe, maybe he would go to two. Um, One to 11. Mm. What would that be? Well, one would be
0: Ramsdale. Well, three Tierney, so no. Unless Zinchenko takes three, but... Or or, or Signing comes in and takes three, maybe. Mm -hmm. Some talk um, of Kieran Tierney staying now. I saw people chatting about that on Twitter, but I haven't looked into it in any great detail.
2: Yeah. Well, certainly there seems to be a bit of a gap between Newcastle's expectations and uh, Arsenal's valuation. Yeah, they're probably think- only
0: offering 35 million and Arsenal are like 50 million, yeah. 50 million, you fuckers. They're holding out 50 yeah. or
2: nothing, right? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I've seen talk of interest in Kukurea from Newcastle. They might just be, you know, trying to make Arsenal sweat a bit and mm. see if they can get a better price. Uh, who's number four Ben White yep number five Thomas Partey number six Gabriel Bakari Saka, Martin Odegaard Gabriel Jesus Emil Smith-Rowe Gabriel Martinelli there's a chance but there's a few of those players who might be heading towards the exit which could scupper some of those plans
0: could be on the one yeah depends on who the replacement is let's just say
2: Thomas Partey did leave you've got to take number five if you're William Saliba haven't you as much good. as we love a tribute to Abu Dhabi,
0: it's a good centre half number, number five. Come on, five and six are the best centre half numbers, I think.
2: It, I agree
0: wholeheartedly. But football has moved on, James. Past us old guys.
2: Us old middle aged guys complaining yeah. about cheating and breaking rules.
0: Yeah, we we belong to a different time. William Saliba probably wants a Pokemon instead of a number on his back. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, what people forget is that Jack Walker,
2: he sports-washed people into believing that Blackburn was a decent place. (laughs) That was his ultimate goal. He achieved it. You know, footballers moved to Blackburn. Blackburn was seen as acceptable in (laughs) high society. Um, We've been sports-washed since the beginning,
0: if we're honest. Right from the very start. I have to do this one right at the end. It comes from the Discord. It comes from Les Dudis, who says, will my shameless name change get my question right out? It will. It did. So Les Dudis, arise, Sir Les.
1: <laughs>
0: so Leslie of the Dudis clan, you are, uh, yeah. you've. Uh, you've
2: I, I want to say, uh, by the way, uh I, uh, my social media replies. And by the way, wow, what a mess Twitter is at the moment. I
0: mm. just
2: want to get that in. What with the, the ads you everywhere? Tab, Twitter thinks I want to lead read a lot of ITK bros who've bought blue ticks. That's what Twitter thinks I want to read. I
0: know. I do not look at the for you tab at all. I only go to following, but even still, it's I
2: think it's- when you load it up, the first thing that comes up is uh, for me at least it's um before you
0: yeah you have to click on the in the app yeah you have to click in the app to it's,
2: it's infuriating but um my replies and mentions uh across all platforms are full of people just commenting let's do this on stuff which I greatly appreciate my wife in the week asked me what's all this I think she's had some interaction on her account so she's <laughs> like why are people writing let's do this on my
0: Instagram <laughs> um, I well, had to sort of yeah. try and explain. Where do you think most of the nonsense in James's life comes from?
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs>
0: this, this fucking podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> file it with, yeah, under the mag. File it with the
2: magpies in nonsense from the fucking football from podcast the extra.
0: All right. Well, listen. Uh, thank you to everybody for for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show as always. Um, We've done this, I guess. We've done this. We've uh, done this. Don't think that one's going to work. No, no, no. We'll just have to wait to the start. Of I flew too close week. to the sun there. You did. It's been a hit, hit and miss episode for you in terms of catchphrases. <sighs> but always you know, next week, though. That's the thing. Get training. Week, people get are going to keep coming back for. Less birthday parties, more sitting at home front of the mirror, you know, a bit like Robert De Niro at the uh, in Taxi Driver you know mm. you talking to me doing your lesbians practicing didas. my catchphrases practicing okay. your catchphrases alright we will leave it there get this podcast out for everybody thanks a million and we will catch you on the next one bye bye